0: Hi everyone, I'm Wendy Muse, creator of The Left Pocket Project, which brings you the history of leftists of color, one swipe at a time. And this is The Left Pocket Project Podcast. So, on today's episode, I'm going to do something a tiny bit different. I had initially planned on um, doing part two of Teresa Santos' information as Left PFC of the Week, but I'm going to table that for tomorrow, and absolutely do it tomorrow, regardless of what happens. Um, But today I was really tired, there was a lot going on, um, and I decided that I wanted to instead read something from a very well-known black leftist poet, um, Marxist in particular, but also Black nationalist, um, and who someone who went through several stages and phases in his life, uh, politically speaking, and that is, um, I'm going to read some of the work of Amiri Baraka. So I'll go into his um, biographical information on another day entirely because it's a very it's a topsy-turvy kind of story. Um, he's kind of been all over the map in terms of his politics and certainly has engaged in some um, controversial <laughs> um, activities and has some had some very controversial viewpoints in some areas. Um, but I think that some of his work on Black nationalism and really how it is intertwined with a lot of um, major left issues is important for us to talk about. Um, so today, I'm just going to kind of do um, a shorthand version of a Reading Revolution episode and read um, something from you by Amiri Baraka. Uh, so let me just pull this up here. So what I'm going to be reading is actually an essay called Black is a Country. Um, he wrote this in 1962, and it goes into, um, you know, some of the issues that... I think are still really, really relevant. I mean, the fact that there are still people on the left who are arguing about whether or not um, indigenous sovereignty or black nationalism are the same thing as white supremacy is just absurd. Like, it's it's kind of frightening, actually, um, the degree that that kind of discussion is thrown around. Um, and it's very reductive and one that doesn't take into account the oppression that Black and Indigenous people have experienced and continue to experience in the present and that our desire to come together on many issues and exclusively so is not so much a rejection of our shared interests with other people of color or with uh, white people, for example, who are oppressed, but out of the purposes of recognizing the degree to which we have uh, been and continue to be oppressed and why sometimes you know, we need kind of a a collective break um, from elements of the society that continue to harm us. And I think sometimes, um, you know, white leftist comrades don't fully understand that. Some are a little bit more willing to listen and understand where people are coming from when they take this sort of um, approach. But some others are very reluctant to listen to uh, the needs of these types of nationalisms and how they actually can and do operate alongside other, um, more economically focused leftist tendencies. So, um, I just wanted to read his perspective. It's something different for me to do the, for this Podmas, uh, series, but I thought it would be a nice little break, uh, in between some of the more personal stuff that I've been talking about or like kind of doom and gloom type stuff. Um, I thought this would be a little, a little bit different. So here we go. Um, And oh, I should say, he uses quotation marks a lot. Um, I'll just say quote-unquote, but it's important to mark those just because you can't see me making air quotes, so I will just make sure that I mark them uh, verbally for you all. So the title of this essay is, quote-unquote, Black is a Country. To a growing list of quote-unquote dirty words that make Americans squirm, add the word nationalism. I would say that the word has gained almost as much infamy in some quarters of this country as that all-time anathema and ugliness, communism. In fact, some journalists, commentators, and similar types have begun to use the two words interchangeably. It goes without saying that said commentators, etc., and the great masses of Americans who shudder visibly at the mention of those words cannot know what they mean. And it is certainly not my function here to rectify that situation completely. But I do think that unless the great majority of people in this country begin to understand just exactly what nationalism is, or at least that variety of nationalism which is most in evidence among the smaller, so-called uncommitted countries of the world, they will pass from the scene like the boxer who, quote, never knew what hit him, end quote. The concept of, quote, acting in one's, best, one's own best interests, quote, is certainly not unknown to America or to the rest of the so-called free world, which I am told includes Portugal, South Africa, and parts of Mississippi. In fact, I would say it is just this concept which has allowed the Western peoples to main, remain for so long the richest and best fed in the world. No matter what people or countries had ultimately to suffer while they were pursuing these quote-unquote best interests, the pragmatic efficiency of England, France, or the United States in accomplishing such ends is almost legendary. Weird historical quote-unquote music in the so-called opium wars in China, Britain, the defense quote-unquote of the Suez Canal, Britain and France, the Spanish-American and Castro-American wars, the United States. Some examples, both recent and long past, of this quote-unquote best-interest doctrine, as applied by the West, leaps immediately to mind. And these kinds of activities can also be included within the definition of nationalism. So it seems strange at first to see Westerners squirming at the mention of a concept and or practice they themselves have been most responsible for perfecting. There is a cosmic analogy to the fact that in con-man language, quote-unquote savage means quote-unquote sucker. The quote-unquote rub, of course, is that when another people or country who have been used or exploited because it served the best interests of a Western power, suddenly becomes politically and or physically powerful enough to begin talking about their own best interests, which of course are usually in direct opposition to the wishes of their exploiters, it is then that nationalism becomes a dirty word, one to be stricken from as many minds as possible by whatever methods. To my mind, it is absurd to think for a moment that the people who killed Patrice Lumumba thought he was a communist. They understood exactly what he was. And it seems a simple enough conclusion to me that most of the so-called quote-unquote hotspots in the world are caused by the same conflict of quote-unquote nationalisms, even in our own South. A historical aside, but the Civil War in the United States was of course the victory of the industrial interest in the country over the agricultural, a kind of nationalism. For these same reasons, any white racist in the South today who suddenly, for whatever hypothetical reasons, becomes strong enough to convince some large part of the white South that secession was the only way to solve the South's problems, would be disposed of by the tobacco people, etc., in short order. More quote-unquote nationalism, the conflict of interests. What I'm driving at is the fact that, to me, the Africans, the Asians, and the Latin Americans who are news today because of their nationalisms, i.e. the militant espousal of the doctrine of serving one's own people's interests before those of a foreign country, for example the United States, are exactly the examples the black man in this country should use in his struggle for independence. And And that is what the struggle remains, for independence from the political, economic, social, spiritual, and psychological domination of the white man. Put more simply, the struggle moves to make certain that no man has the right to dictate the life of another man. The struggle is not simply for quote-unquote equality or quote-unquote better jobs or quote-unquote better schools and the rest of those half-hearted liberal cliches. It is to completely free the black man from the domination of the white man, nothing else. The man who asked the question, quote, would you let your daughter marry one, end quote, must realize that that question is generally outmoded. The question now for those same people becomes, quote, what would you do if one turned my daughter down, end quote. It is the freedom to make the choice that is my insistence, and the insistence, I hope, of most black Americans. And it is the new nationalists everywhere who are pointing out dramatically the road our own struggle must take. In America, black is a country. The Cubans are attacked by this country because they refuse to let themselves be used solely to further the industrial interests of this country. Communism is not the issue. Lumumba was killed because he resisted the designs of the neocolonialists to continue to make money from the laborers of the African. Communism, again, was not the issue. The black man has been separated and made to live in his own country of color. If you are black, the only roads into the mainland of American life are through subservience, cowardice, and loss of manhood. Those are the white man's roads. It is time we built our own. America is as much a black country as a white one. The lives and destinies of the white American are bound up inextricably with those of the black American, even though the latter has been forced for hundreds of years to inhabit the lonely country of black. It is time we impress the white man with the nature of his ills, as well as the nature of our own. The Negro struggle in America is only a microcosm of the struggle of the new countries all over the world. The idea of quote-unquote passive resistance is not the answer. It is an Indian quote-unquote rope trick that cannot be applied in this scientific country. No one believes in magic anymore. The Christian church cannot help us The new nationalists all over the world have learned to be suspicious of quote-unquote Christianity. Christ and the dollar sign have gotten mixed up in their minds, and they know that the latter is their enemy. It is time that black Americans got those two confused as well. The idea of the quote-unquote all-black society within the superstructure of an all-white society is useless as well, even if it were possible. We are Americans, which is our strength as well as our desperation. The struggle is for independence, not separation or assimilation for that matter. Do what you want with your life when you can. I want to be independent of black men just as much as I want independence from the whites. It is just that achieving the latter involves all black men, or at least those who have not already taken those available roads into the mainstream I mentioned earlier, subservience, cowardice, and loss of manhood. This struggle has first got to aim itself at those Black men who have already taken those three roads of quote-unquote success, the quote-unquote rubber stamps of our exploitation. Usually, as we know, those rubber stamps are set up as our quote-unquote leaders, official Negroes they are called. Good let them be official. It only means that they are as sick and useless as everything else in this country that has of recent years been unofficial. When we speak of the ugliness of American foreign policy, we cannot separate our disgust with that from the knowledge that these official Negroes as such must be the repositories of those same politics. The best interests of the black man in America cannot be furthered by these puppets and messengers. It is not in the best interest of the black man if another black man gets up in the United Nations and apologizes to that August body for the conduct of his quote-unquote people. It is not in the best interest of the black American if another black American suggests to the world that the only way in which his people are going to achieve their independence is to get walked in public places or blown out of buses. And it is strictly up to those black people who realize these things to come out and say them. Not only say them, but act upon them. And we must act now, in what I see as an extreme quote-unquote nationalism, i.e., in the best interests of our country, the name of which the rest of America has pounded into our heads for 400 years. Black. And that was Amiri Baraka's Black is a Country and with that, I'm going to close out tonight's Podmas episode. I hope you enjoyed it and it gave you something to reflect on. Um, and if time permits, perhaps uh, Richard and I will revisit this discussion uh, and this piece at least and discuss it together um, because it's certainly something that I think is stimulating for us to think about as nationalism and particularly black nationalism is constantly on the lips of um, leftists in, in online spaces and um I think it's something that we need to kind of grapple with in terms of what it means, what it means depending on who's talking about it, um, and whether or not it's a useful tool for Black people who are who are also um, leftists and or other groups that are marginalized on on some racial basis. Um, But to kind of think about what that means in America and uh, how that can still coincide with our understandings of. you know, left politics. So anyway, have a wonderful night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.